This changes everything. The title of uh, today's message, This Changes Everything. We're going to look at um, a few passages of Scripture here. We're going to begin with Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. uh, And we'll read uh, the first eight verses. Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. Very uh, familiar Easter passage of Scripture. Luke 24, uh, verses 1 through 8. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher or the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher or from the tomb, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed, there, uh, excuse me, thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Literally in the, in the um, margin of my Bible, it says, he that lives. Why do you seek he that lives among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was with you in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And then look with me over at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Who has saved us, 2 Timothy 1.10, who has saved us and called us with a holy call, calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the gospel, of course, we know uh, gospel simply means this is good news. I've got something good to tell you. Uh, this is not bad news. This is not uh, something bad that's happened, but this is something really good that has happened. Yeah. But I think even as much as we know now, as much as is registered on our brains, that we still don't comprehend the significance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to impact uh, every part of our life. Right? So we may know um, that we could be born again, and we may know we are born again, and we may know that by his stripes we were healed. We may know that he became a curse for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness or be made the righteousness of God in him, that uh, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree, Galatians 3.13. So the curse came on Christ, and the curse, uh, you can learn, is sickness spiritual death and poverty. So we may know, okay, I've been redeemed from poverty. I've been redeemed from sickness and disease. I've been redeemed from spiritual death. Thank God. Hallelujah. Um, But I think the significance of the resurrection really hasn't dawned on us the way that it could and the way that it should. Because this one event changed everything in the course of human existence. This one event changed everything. I can't even think of the right word. This one event changed everything the way that we are to live. 
the way that we are to look at life, the way that we are to get up in the morning, the way that we are to go to bed at night. This one event changed everything. Well, because let's look, uh, let's look over real quick at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans 4, 25. Talking of Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Uh, so much of the church world in general even would just focus on he was delivered for our offenses. In other words, he was delivered up because of our sins. So you look and you say, okay, um, that's easy for most people to relate to, whether they admit it or not, right? I've said before, um, there's two kind of ways that you have to watch, and you normally you will gravitate, gravitate one direction or the other. And that is like, I am horrible. I always messed up. It must have been something that I did. It must have been you know, something that somebody else did that affected me. And so you kind of have that side. Or you have the other side of really have people have the same guilt consciousness, but the displayed in a different way, which is I never mess up. And um, if you just want to know how to live, you just look at me. <laughs> and uh, you know, if Jesus were here, I would teach him a few things. Basically, is the mentality. They would never say that, but that's... That's really the demeanor, right? <laughs> um, and that, that is called a self-righteousness. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is, even the, the poor me type of thinking is really not being God-righteousness conscious. In other words, you're not conscious of uh, uh, really what's going on. So say like somebody is unconscious, like they don't, you know, they may in their spirit know, but... Physically, they don't know what's going on. They're unconscious. Well, Jesus came so that we could be conscious of our standing with God and that our standing with God is the same as the standing of Jesus himself with God. That actually Jesus took his standing, his rapport, his relationship with the Father, and he gave it to us, to you and to me, so that we're not like looking from outside trying to approach God from a distance or from the outside or from uh, as part of a different family or part of a different administration or a different relationship. But we're actually family of God, children of God, sons of God, daughters of God. And, you know, that, that, that upset the Pharisees <laughs> so much because what did they say? I didn't intend to say this, but I'll say it. So they said, how dare you call yourself the son of God to Jesus Christ? Because you're making yourself equal with God. Well, that's like a heavy statement. Right? And then you can go over and look in the Psalms, and uh, it was actually prophesied that it would be that way. That we would be sons and daughters of God. Of course, we know um, that... Uh, we are not God, but that when we are in Christ, when we are placed in Christ, and when we live from the place that he has put us, when we're in Christed and we don't just think it, but we live from that place, well, then we can do on the earth what God would do on the earth. The same thing that Jesus did, we can and should do. Well, why don't we do it? Well, we don't understand that everything is different. Everything changed the morning of the resurrection. Yeah. Everything changed when Jesus 
not only, can you put that verse back up? When Jesus not only took our sins, our offenses, you know, where we messed up, but don't leave him in the grave. Because if Christ be not raised, then what you believe is in vain. And it's useless and it's not worth anything. So Christ was delivered for our offenses. In other words, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't mess up. Quite to the contrary, he did everything right. Now, to man living at that time, if they could be conscious of that, they would say, like, this is not fair. But in reality, that's exactly what had to happen, is that the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God had to give up his life. Because, see, if he had sinned and messed up, he couldn't be the perfect sacrifice. So, but, but Hebrews tells us that he, was, he took his own blood into the heavenly holies of holies and offered it one time for all. So if the devil ever tries to come or thoughts try to come or relatives try to come or well-meaning Christians try to come and say, well, you know, you have to go through that because you sinned. You have to go through that because you messed up. Like you have to take all that. You know, it's, once you have suffered a while, then things will get better. You... The penalty was paid once for all. The blood was shed once for all. It actually doesn't say that the blood was shed once for people that are pretty much good without God. <laughs> and it doesn't say that the blood was shed for people that you know, were high on drugs and in a drive-by shooting. Once for all. For you, for me, for the worst sinner you can think of, for the, most, uh, the, the um, best person that you can think of. The blood was shed once and for all. Can you put that verse back up? <laughs> he didn't know I was going to do this. And he was raised for our justification. Right? So he was raised. Justification just means to be made right, to be made righteous, to be, have access to God without any hesitation. Right? So he was, he was uh, crucified and he died for our offenses. So for anything that you've ever done, anything that you're doing right now, or anything that you'll do tomorrow in the future, he was crucified to pay the penalty for that, that you did, not that he did, that you did, and that I did. He was crucified for that. But then he was raised so that we could come back to Father God. We could come back and have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We could come back into relationship with God himself. Remember when I say come back, why do I say come back? Well, in the Garden of Eden, you see God had planned relationship and fellowship, sweet fellowship. And um, Adam messed that up. Jesus came as the second Adam, the last Adam, the Bible says, to get all of that back. To get that fellowship back. And so when Romans 4.25 says, uh, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. He was raised again so that we could be justified with God. And we were justified. I I love uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? We are God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. We are not our righteousness. We are God's righteousness. So when Jesus rose from the dead, this changed everything. And this changed everything because before our approach to God was based on what we did. 
was based on how good we could be, how many works we could do, how many things we could do. And so uh, you are all wonderful uh, servants of the Lord. But I cannot read these scriptures and think about the Pharisees without thinking, these are the people that went to the church of their day. These are the people that tried to follow God to the best of their ability, right? And so these are the very people that slipped up and started to accomplish it themselves, right? Because they actually had the shadow. They were counted righteous. Well, if it was easy for them to do that, it's easy for us to do that. But this event of the resurrection changes everything. Because when they were doing it, the least member in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, because John the Baptist did not have Jesus Christ on the inside. He didn't have the Spirit of God on the inside prompting, leading, guiding, revealing, showing, demonstrating. So we actually have the Spirit of God. So we're not like exactly in the case of the Pharisees because you have something on the inside working on the outside, right? You've got something on the inside that the love of God constrains us. What does that mean? Well, if I was going to constrain you and you tried to get up, you don't have to, but I would like hold her back, right? And I'm like constraining her, sort of restraining her. And so the love of God is to restrain us. But Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it in abundance. Life, really, there is the Greek word zoe. It means life as God has it. Or I, my favorite way to describe it is the life and the nature of God. Well, that, that's pretty significant. A lot of times we focus just on the life of God. And if you have sickness in your body or disease in your body, just receive the life of God. Just say right now, I receive the life of God in my body. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead makes my mortal body alive in every part, from the inside to the outside, from the top to the bottom, from the greatest extremity to the closest thing to my heart. Uh, the life of God actually affects us. But not only that, we have God's nature. That means we have a nature like God. Like you might have seen my children were up here and uh, the two boys, uh, they kind of don't like to be in front of people. <laughs> they have more of their daddy's nature. Well, their mom doesn't either, but so they got it from both sides. But, you know, you, you could look and see them do things, whether good or bad. <laughs> well, that's like their parents. They've got a nature kind of like their parents. Well, we have a nature like our heavenly father. And so everything changed. Everything changed at that moment. Okay, and we might be more conscious of it, we probably are more conscious of it, than someone that's not born again, and someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. But you know everything changed for them at that same moment? Everything changed for every human on the face of the earth at that very moment when Christ raised from the dead. Everything changed. You realize like there's even a physical representation of it in the and this is actually when Christ died, that the, the earthly man-made holies of holies, what they say is like a foot thick, and it's like, I'm trying to remember, I think it was like 18 feet tall. That thing is maybe 20. That thing was like huge. If you ever study it, you know, if you've been at the church for a while, I, uh, about a year, year and a half ago, I kind of got it in, was looking at the tabernacle stuff, and it's just fascinating. I had no idea how large <laughs> that was. But anyhow, um, the Bible says... The Bible says that the veil in the temple was ripped in half from top to bottom, not bottom to top. And it's like a foot thick. 
And that thing was ripped. And says, darkness fell on the face of the earth. I mean, when the Son of God died on the cross. And so, everything was changed when Jesus rose from the dead. Because someone could say, like the the fellow did, truly this was the Son of God. Because he saw, you know, felt the earthquake, it got dark, and, you know, he later found out that the veil was torn into or rent into. And um, they could be like, what did we do? We just, like somebody might be like, I'm not sure what, who he was, but apparently he was significant. Because <laughs> last time I knew when anybody died, the earth didn't shake unless it was from, you know, explosion. And so, but if Christ did not raise from the dead, then everything that we believe is for nothing. Everything we believe is, is vain. And so... The resurrection actually changes everything about mankind. The the Bible says that Jesus was as a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Well, that actually means if you study that out, you can see that Jesus was as a lamb slain before the earth was created. That actually means that God was not surprised when Adam and Eve were on the scene and messed up, it actually means that the blood of Jesus was, I think it says, uh, one translation, ordained ahead of time. So Jesus was ordained to be the one lamb, the one perfect sacrifice before when mankind, so when you were perfect, before sin, Like, you and I weren't really ever that. Because sin comes down through the man. We know that, right? I don't know, you know, whatever. (laughs) But mankind was counted perfect. So before there was any mess up, before there was any knowledge of sin, remember Adam and Eve? The knowledge of good and evil? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Before we had any knowledge of that, Christ was ordained as a lamb slain. So God, God's plan is perfect. Sometimes our mind will tell us, and the devil will side in, like, you know what? No one's ever been in this situation before. You know, there is not a sin, and there is not a mistake, and there is not a mess up that you or I could come up with that is going to surprise God the Father or cause Jesus Christ to say, you know what, Daddy? I didn't spill my blood for that. I have to go back. Right? So I'm telling you truth from the word of God. The devil tells you lies from the world system and from the realm of reason. And the, well, I got to figure it out this way. And this is the experience that my aunt Susie had. The devil tries to get you to believe what he says. Because remember back in the garden, um, Satan had no power over Adam and Eve. They are the ones actually that had authority. Do you know what? We, you know, we're in this series on authority and we're kind of like doing an Easter message in the middle of it. But do you know what? 
God said to Adam, I, have, I give you dominion over all the work of my hands. And if you just read the whole thing, and everything that creeps on the earth. And this snake came slithering and creeping on the earth. So they actually had authority over the devil, but they didn't use it. They actually didn't take their rightful place. They just kind of, have you ever done that? I've done that. And you just sit there and you're kind of like spellbound almost. And you're like, why is this happening? What is going on? Well, I like to give people that have children the example. If someone came and tried to grab your child and kidnap them, I think you'd get kind of aggressive. (laughs) And so, but see what happened is the, the serpent was cunning and crafty and sneaky. And it says he deceived Eve. In other words, Eve didn't realize what was going on when she was succumbing to the devil. Adam did, the Bible says. I hope that's good news for the men here or not. But Eve was deceived. So she thought it was one way that it really wasn't. Right? She was deceived. And so the devil took advantage of her and um, gained victory over her. So 2 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.10 says... Jesus, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. All right. So you are called and I am called not according to my works, but according to his purpose and his grace. which was given us in Christ Jesus. Look, same phrase right here. Before the world began. So not only were this Jesus like ordained as a lamb slain, okay? So I I like to think about that. The Bible says that the the blood is constantly speaking. And um, Romans tells us that the blood of Jesus is a propitiation or a mercy seat for us. In other words, in Exodus 25, we learn that they had the mercy seat and they would sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And the mercy seat was over the Ark of the Covenant. It was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God. And the Lord said, I will meet with you at the mercy seat. Okay, so God met with man at the mercy seat. What does that mean? Well, he met with man at the place of the sprinkling of the blood. All right. Well, that was the blood of a lamb that wasn't perfect. Well, in the new covenant, we know that we actually meet with God at that exact same place. But that place this time is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless, sinless lamb, the perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice. Let's just look um, real quick over there. Uh, Romans. Where did I put it? Selah. You guys know what Selah means? 
Romans 3.25, yeah. It got me confused because I was like, I just did 4.25. Romans 3.25. Whom God has set forth, speaking of Jesus, to be a propitiation, or literally that is mercy seats, the same uh, as the Hebrew word for mercy seat, but it's Greek. Uh, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. In other words, through the patience of God. So Jesus, God has set forth to be the mercy seat through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. So Jesus Christ actually becomes mercy, the mercy seat, the place where we meet with God through faith in his blood. Well, what is faith in his blood? Well, faith in his blood is that you trust and you believe that the blood of Jesus was shed for you. That the blood of Jesus was poured out for your justification, for your redemption, to pay for your sins, and to declare you righteous, to justify you. So what happens? Well, this changes everything. Because before, there was only one man that could go into the earthly holies of holies, and that only once a year. And then he had to make sure like he wasn't sinning, he wasn't messing up, and he had to take blood in there like physical blood of an animal in there. And only he could go. So like right now, you could stop in the middle of the service and you could say, Heavenly Father, I come in the name of Jesus. And whew, right there, you're in the presence of God. But you know what? Sometimes you're not conscious of the presence because you don't come conscious of the blood. So you have to carry blood in when you go to the presence of God. Well, how do you carry blood in? That sounds kind of messy. Sounds kind of bloody. Well, you come conscious of the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, you say, Heavenly Father, I come based on your mercy. And I come because of what you, your free gift and what you've done for me. The, the closest example I see the, uh, in the New Testament is in Luke, where you have the Pharisee and the uh, poor man praying. And the Pharisee says, oh, God, I thank you, you know, that I give more than this sinner right here. And the sinner says, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, such a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. That guy went away justified, not the, not the Pharisee. Why? Because he came by mercy, like coming by the mercy seat. In other words, what? He came not based on anything that he did do or that he did not do. In other words, he didn't come thinking about his mistakes, and he didn't come thinking about, and he certainly, you could tell how he talked, he didn't come thinking about his successes and his faithfulness and all the things that he had done, right? So when we come through faith, by faith in the blood, we actually can connect and commune and fellowship with God. But what happens so many times is we believe the Bible and we go through a set list of prayers, you could call it, but we don't actually meet with God. Because what happens when you meet with God? You know, you could tell people do this because when someone meets with God, they come out different. They're affected, right? So some people come out, oh, I've been, what's a, praise the Lord. What's going on? I've been with the Lord. Well, the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy, <laughs> pleasures forevermore. And you know, you kind of stink like the presence of God, which you can't even really say that, right? You smell sweet like the presence of God when you've been with God, when you've met with God. 
So God will meet with you, but he'll only meet with you at the mercy seat. And the only way he can meet with you at the mercy seat is if you sprinkle some blood. They used to sprinkle blood with hyssop. They'd apply it with hyssop. Well, in the New Testament, our tongue is like the hyssop. And so we sprinkle blood with our tongue. How do you sprinkle blood with your tongue? You say, Heavenly Father, I come right now not based on what I've done, not based on what I haven't done, not based on my own thoughts or my own ability, but I come based on the blood of Jesus because he shed his blood for me, because by his stripes I'm healed, because of everything that he did in his blood, and that that blood you said still speaks right now. So I'm not coming. I'm coming boldly to the throne of grace that I may obtain mercy and find grace to help in my time of need. I can't do it myself. I need you. So I come by the blood of Jesus. But it's not just words. It's actually words birthed, words formed from an inward conviction and an inward knowledge and an inward knowing I need the blood. I can't do it on my own. And I don't care how long you've been a Christian, or if, you've not, if you're not even a Christian, you have to come by the blood. Uh, sometimes, like I said, Pharisees are more challenging than people that don't even know the Lord. Because we, we uh, get comfortable in what we can accomplish and secure in what we can accomplish if, we, if we're not real careful. Right? We all have to pay really close attention. Um, that's why uh, Paul said, be being filled with the Spirit of God. Why? Because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can actually so much more easily go beyond your natural personality, go beyond your natural limitation, your natural ruts, that you can actually yield to the Spirit of God and let Him speak to you and let Him speak through you. So this one event... This changed everything. The gospel was and is power. Power to conquer self. Power to control circumstances. Power to go on living when life is unlivable. Power to be a Christian when being a Christian looks impossible. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Do you know, uh, it said when God raised Christ from the dead that he exerted the most power when he did that, and yet it still says it was like moving his little finger (laughs) when he raised Christ from the dead. But the power that's present there was present to change everything. You realize, actually, even the earth is cursed and is subject to the curse. But even the earth and even the creatures on the earth, it says actually that they groan within themselves for the redemption that'll happen to the earth. But that redemption was already bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. So actually that one event not only affects the human spirit, that one event not only affects the human body, that one event not only affects the human mind, that one event not only affects finances, the, the, the realm on the earth, that One event affects every living creature on the earth. That one event affects every, what do you call that? Building block of the earth. Every molecule, every atom, that one event affects all of that. That one event, the raising of Christ from the dead. And that same power that was present there lives inside of every believer. 
whether you feel like it lives there or not. That same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of your mortal body. That same power is inside of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The same power that raised Christ from the dead will actually make alive your mortal body. That same power lives on the inside of us. And so this really changed everything. If I was hired to go into uh, a business (laughs) or the government, And I wanted to change everything. I couldn't just go in and change the rules. I couldn't just go in and say, okay, now you report to who, you report to you, you report to you. Have you ever, if you ever been, I'm thinking of a couple places, where there is a horrible uh, morale amongst the employees. And if you want to change the morale amongst the employees, you can't just go change the rules. You actually have to change the attitude. Well, the only way you can change an attitude in reality is to change the nature of the person. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become or have become new. Actually, it's a new species of being that never existed before. Whole whole new kind of thing. Whole new kind of thing. So if you want to change, like God wanted to change man. Into his, you know, he made us in his likeness and his image, and Satan came and corrupted it. So, God is a just God. If you sin and you mess up, the penalty has to be paid for your mess ups. Uh, You can't bypass it, you can't get around it, it has to be paid. But someone else paid for your sin, someone else paid for your mess up, and that was Jesus Christ. And it was actually reckoned to your account. Uh, 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 5. Reckon to our account. He did it in our place. He did it for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. E.W. Kenyon said, Righteousness is the ability to stand and come to the presence of God without a sense of guilt, inferiority, or hesitation. That you can say, this is where I belong. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And Jesus paid the price for you and for me to do that. Hallelujah. You know, I referred to Hebrews where it says we come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I love that scripture because when you mess up or you just miss it, or even if everything's going just fine, it says we go there to obtain mercy. Well, you don't need mercy if you didn't mess up. You need mercy if you were not perfect, which is everybody here, except for Jesus, because he's here. I wouldn't do this alone. Like I said, you know, the personality, I would not... (laughs) Like, Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, But the word boldly means that you actually refuse to be silent. Like someone shut that, I was going to say, normally what you hear is a woman. Someone shut that woman up. Tell her to be quiet, like the woman with the issue of blood. Shh. I'm not talking to you. 
But, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but the woman said, for she said. <laughs> but the word boldly means that you actually refuse to be silent. You're saying, I will not be silent. I was blind Bartimaeus. Yes. <laughs> Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Well, when you come into the throne room of God, you refuse to be silent. And you talk about the blood. And you say, no, I'm not going to be silent. Why, why do you have to do that? Why do you have to be bold? He, say, he said to be bold. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, when the word of God tells us stuff, that means we would maybe have a tendency to not do that. So that means I'm going to come like kind of timidly because I said the woman with the issue of blood. I said the wrong thing. But you come boldly. He said come boldly. In other words, you just start talking about it. Sometimes what helps me to be bold is I just start almost meditating. You know, meditating, uh, literally, it means like to mutter. So that means you're kind of like, uh, to think about meditating is just to be like worried. So you're like, oh, I can't believe this happened. What am I going to do because this happened and this happened. Now I can't fix this and what am I going to do with that? And now that's going to affect this and this is going to affect this. And I'm a big picture person. So like I see everything as like dominoes. So everything's like long. So I'm like, oh, this is going to affect this. It's going to affect this. It's gonna, what am I going to do? What am I, well, meditating is, that's, that's meditating, but on the wrong thing. So I just start to meditate on what Jesus did. Yeah. Well, and I, I like to be honest with the Lord. Yeah. I think if you're going to connect with the Lord in prayer, you have to come openly and you have to come honestly and you come by the blood. And so I say, Lord, I, I want to come into your presence and I want to be conscious of your presence, but I feel like the furthest thing from your presence right now. And so all I know is you said that I'm supposed to come by, not what I did, but by what Jesus did. I'm supposed to come by the blood of Jesus. So that's to the best of my ability, that's how I'm coming right now. Because I need to meet with you. Because I want to fellowship with you. Because I want to come and spend time with you. And so uh, that's the best I know how. If there's anything else I'm supposed to say, you have to tell me what it is. Right? Just like we said last week, in, when, when people talk about you know, different... Uh, things from your past that may try to come up and rise their head and stuff like that. You know, you just say, I just go into the presence of God and I tell everybody, and you know, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free or make you free. That's what Jesus said. You'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This set me free. And so uh, some people, they want to come and they want to say like, well, I know I must have some unconfessed sin or something that I couldn't possibly know how much I do because I just mess up all the time and I'm just a mess up. And of course that comes from a huge sin consciousness atmosphere that's in, in, uh, can be in a lot of denominations. And I say, okay, let's just pray right now. Because he said, even in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Agreement, he said, call unto me and I will answer you. So let's call to him right now. And so we say, Heavenly Father. I, I, well, first I say, do you have any sins that you kind of like committed that you're, you're aware of right now? And most of the time, to be honest, people will say, well, no, I, not that I can think of, but I know I must have something. And I said, okay, let's ask the Lord. And whatever the Lord says, let's do that. And I say, okay, so say this, Lord, do I have some sin uh, that I committed that I need to confess to you that I'm not aware of? I ask this in Jesus' name. And I stand there, and then they look kind of nervous at me. Like, are you expecting me like, to hear from God right now? And I said, did he say anything? I don't think he said anything. Do you feel like uncomfortable about something? Uh, no. And I said, okay. Now never think about it again. 
Because why? The devil is controlling you through that. The devil is having dominion over you through those thoughts. The devil is taking those thoughts and just doing what he did to Adam and Eve. He's manipulating and deceiving and controlling. Why? Because if you feel like you have done something uh, that you need to confess, you don't measure up, then you don't have a a consciousness of your righteousness in Christ. What does that mean? Well, remember I said, E.W. Kenyon said, it's the ability to stand in the presence of God without the sense of guilt, inferiority. So all of a sudden, if the devil can keep you conscious of this, that's why I don't like that one so much, (laughs) this unconfessed sin that you can't possibly know about, well, what's going to happen? He'll keep you out of the presence of God. You're a believer, you have God living on the inside of you, and you actually don't receive from the presence of God. And what's worse than that, I think, in so many ways is God doesn't get to enjoy your fellowship because he wants to spend time with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to tell you the truth. Think about me with my four small children. If they are believing a lie, like that there is no food to eat, and they're sad about it, what do I want to do? Well, come over here. Come over here. Hey, no, we have food. It's just in the other room. You know, we just went shopping. There's, a, there's food. You can have food. Well, I want them to have food to make them feel better, but I want to be providing for them. I want them to be with me. And so God wants you to come into his presence and spend time with him because he loves you. He likes you. There's something about you that he likes. And I'll finish with this. While we were sinners, I like to say while we were missing it and messing up, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ did not die for godly people. There were no godly people. (laughs) People tried to be, but they would inevitably mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up. But Jesus came, died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, went down and whooped the devil's butt, defeated the devil, and said he got the keys of death, hell, and the grave from the devil himself, and then paraded him around all the streets of eternity for everyone to see this is the wimp that was like defeating you, and now I've given you authority over him. No, she's here. She tells if there's a fire. (laughs) That is confirmation from the Lord. (laughs) But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So his love for you is not based on anything that you did or did not do. His love for you and for me is not based on us being good, on us reading the Bible, on us praying. His love for you and me is based on the fact that he is love. That's the kind of being he is. He is love. That's his nature. If you get close to God, you get close to love. If you want to study God, study love. If you want to see God show up, look at love. Love is what motivated Jesus to do everything that he did. Love is what motivated God to send Jesus. Love is what sent Jesus to the cross. Love is what rose Jesus from the dead. And love is what dwells in heavenly places and has come to live inside of us when you're born again, the love of God. Love is what sets us apart. Love is how they'll know us. Love is how we draw near to God. Love is how we're used of God to bless other people. Love is God. And God is love. Stand with me if you would.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any sword, than any scalpel, than any other surgical instrument. Father, we thank you for your word that you have sown into our lives. We pray, Father, that each of us would grab hold of the things that you inspired us to stay, to change our lives, and to cause us to draw nearer unto you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're listening online or you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he wants to have a personal relationship with you. And you can in, in, in the instant of time. There's nothing that you could do to be good enough to come to him. There's nothing that you could do to be too bad to come to him. Everything is based on what he did. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the devil would say, just wait, you've got more time. The devil would say, oh, you're fine, just just go do something else. He's trying to deceive you. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus loves you and he died for you and he wants to be close and intimate with you living inside of you. If that's you here this morning, slip up your hand. If you're online, email us at info at Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we declare not based on our works and not based on our goodness or our sins and our badness. Father, but we come by the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for raising him from the dead. Father, we pray that you give us opportunities, make us a mouthpiece, uh, give us, thank you for the ability that you have put inside of us to represent you and to speak for you and to declare your love and your goodness with each and every person that we come in contact with. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.